Hello and welcome to the very first video episode of the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. You probably know me from somewhere else, but uh, with me as always is my co-host, good friend, and the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Crisson. How are you? Show everybody your beautiful face and say hello. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. If you're listening live on uh, the YouTube live broadcast, welcome in. If you're listening as the usual standard protocol on the uh, audio version, welcome in as well. So good to have you with us again. And uh, I'm in the makeshift bedroom slash studio. I'm up visiting my parents. So this is um, not the ideal setup for me, but, you know, we'll make it work this week and Another good week in Pitt Athletics. I mean, we're kind of in the, I guess you could call it off-season mode, even though there's really no off-season. But, um, you know, right now with Pro Day wrapping up, the NCAA tournament, you know, we have a national championship game to talk about. So there's a there's still a lot going on in the world of at least college athletics. But right now, things with Pitt, you know, we got spring sports season happening, of course, and, you know, wrapping up some, some basketball housekeeping. And obviously, football's back in swing with – the spring game just a couple of weeks away. Right. So, hey, if you're following along with us here live, go ahead, pop some questions in. We'll, we'll happily answer them, talk talk any subject that you find interesting. But until that happens, we're going to start off with something I find fascinating, Corey, because Pitt's Pro Day was a pretty big deal. We talked about it a little bit, um, previewed it a little bit last week. This week, it's maybe time to talk a little bit about what we actually saw there, right? I mean, you got to stand there and watch these guys do everything that was done at the combine, basically. <laughs> they had a shot to do it over in some cases or for the first time if they chose to not go to the combine. So what did you see? I mean, I heard good things about Kalaja Kansi and real good things about Abanacanda as well. The two standouts were Kalaja Kansi and Israel Abanacanda for I mean, if you've watched those two play football at any point in their careers, especially this season, you're not surprised as to, as to why. I mean, Kalijah is an athletic freak for a defensive tackle. We know this. We know he's quick. We know how good he is. But when it comes to Israel Banakanda, you know, he sustained a hamstring injury. He didn't go to the NFL Combine because of it. And this was really his one shot to get in front of scouts, to get in front of important NFL people and to put something on in front of their eyes other than obviously the tape was impressive, right? I mean, there's no yeah. questioning what Izzy was able to do last year. He won the ACC rushing title. And when you look at like his body of work last season versus his measurements and his tape and everything, like he stands out in a certain way. And, and I tried to like find the word or words to use for him, but I think it's, do I say unique? Maybe because when I think of a, a five foot eleven, two hundred seventeen pound running back, I don't look at guys that have that kind of speed. I clocked them at four three one to start on that first run on his forty, or excuse me, four four one, and then I clocked him at four three one on his second run. So he he turned in two great forty times, no matter how ever you want to look at it, and then forty one inch vertical. He got up there. Him and Servassier were impressive at the vertical jump. Um, these these drills yeah, can be, impressed himself, didn't he? Well, so there was um, I forget what team it was. All thirty two teams were there, and four CFL teams, by the way. So you know, 
Kalijah can't see going to the Montreal Alouettes. Don't rule it out. Um, <laughs> but there was a scout there who on Voss's second vertical attempt called him out for shuffling his feet. So they, they canceled the try. He got, I I want to say he got 38, 39 on his first jump. And then his second jump, he got the 41. So Voss got that 41 on the second jump. They just kind of turned around and like, did like the Jordan shoulder shrug because he's like, how dare they call me out? So he kind of took that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a good showcase for, you know, if you want to consider winners of the whole thing, like obviously Kalijah was a winner in it. He got all 32 teams to see him. He's, likely going in the first round by this point. I think Izzy shot his stock up. I want to say Servasie shot his stock up. And I don't know if Voss shot his further than Israel might have. But I think what we saw with Servasie Dennis is, yes, he might be a little undersized for a linebacker. But he showed some really good athletic ability, really good speed, really good just like the traits that you want to see from somebody that can step in and play either linebacker or special teams. And like what we've talked about with Servassier, like his knack to play special teams is so good. So he's an attractive commodity for, for any team really. So all in all a good day, Marcus minor putting up 31 on the bench was really, really good. That was, I want to say it was fourth among combine guards. I could be wrong, but I'd have to double check, but 31 on the bench is impressive. And then, you know, we, we got to see Deslin Alexander test out Gabe Hoyce, some of the guys that might be, you know, practice squad, fringe, you know, NFL guys, you know, give their run at it. So we'll see where scouts value them. But one thing that I wanted to take away from it, too, was Brandon Hill didn't do too much at the pro day. And I'm curious yeah. as to why, because, you know, if you don't do too much at pro day, then maybe he got some good advice from scouts beforehand, or maybe he got some bad advice for all we know. But You know, I found that interesting that Brandon Hill didn't really do too much at the pro day. He did the position drills. He didn't run the he didn't run the forty. He didn't uh, bench press. He didn't do you know many of the the athletic stuff. So um, we'll see what happens now. You know, it's kind of out of everybody else's hands at this point. It's interviews and you know further character evaluation, if you want to call it that. And we'll see where the chips fall come. You know, the end of the month here. We're officially in draft month. We're we're hitting the home stretch here. It is funny that Hill didn't participate to the level that, you know, many thought he would. And it's funny how everything is a decision, Corey, everything you participate in, everything you don't participate in, everything that you tend to like try that maybe isn't your specialty, you know, <laughs> it it's insane. Um, maybe Hill is a guy that was told, hey, you're probably in this range. Don't mess it up. That's really all you could do at this point. So mm-hmm. take it, take it, take a back seat at the pro day. Well, and that's like why Kalijah didn't run another 40, because quite frankly, he didn't need to. I, I was thinking yeah. if he wanted to, he could. And obviously there would be risk. I put that in air quotes to, you know, go about that. But I think Kalijah put plenty on tape. He put plenty of results on paper. He showed enough. He did the position work. He, I took a couple of videos. He did you know, the, the, the vertical and the broad jump, like he did everything he needed to. He's, he's done, you know, but some of these guys needed pro day more than Kalijah did, obviously. And when we talk about the, the quote unquote winners of the whole deal, you know, Servasier and Izzy are the two that stand out as the winners of the pro day in terms of where do they sit, you know, at, with their draft stock before the pro day and where do they sit after they definitely rose up on boards. Right. 
let's take a real quick break even though you guys watching us on video we're just going to kind of sit here quietly for a second we're just giving a break for our audio side and we're back Corey. i think the next logical thing to talk about is really where we think these guys could go you talked about cancy potentially being in the first round i thought you know going into the offseason that might have been a stretch for him but it really looks like he's getting some interest he's certainly getting his name popped into a lot of those mock drafts is he a, a first rounder to you um is that a lock is anything a lock anymore? No, <laughs> but mean, we can't. We have opinions. I mean, it's a no, show you're, about you're opinions. Right. <laughs> you're right. I think he's a first round pick, and here's why. When you watch defensive tackles, and it's going to come down to the place that he fits in the best with. He's not a fit for every team. That's like the caveat on him. There's certain players that are in this draft, you know, whether it be like a Will Anderson, I think is a perfect example, or a Devin Witherspoon that are like plug and play any player or, or, or any team, any position. Like he could just go in right now, day one, any team and fit in that roster in that room. Kalijah is not one of those players. And that's not to knock him as a player. That's just to knock him. Quite frankly, when you're, when you're a six foot one, 280 pound defensive tackle, you're not going to play in a three, four. You might be able right. to, and you might be able to grow into it, but day one, when it comes to sell and how he can sell himself right now, it's really hard for Kalijah Kansi at 283 pounds to sell himself as a 3-4 nose tackle. It's just the way it is. I think there's a team that runs a 4-3 defense out there. I'm not sure which one it is, but there's a team out there that runs a 4-3 defense that's going to love having Kalijah Kansi in their defense. He could play inside on the interior. You could flank him out at defensive end if you need to on the 4-3. I don't think he's like stand-up edge rusher, like athletic, but he's definitely – on the D-line athletic. He might be stand-up rusher athletic. I don't know. But, like, for players like Kalijah, I think he goes in the first round for a team that two boxes have to be checked. Number one, he fits the system. Number two, he's a position in need. Like, when you look at Philadelphia, like Mel Kuyper Jr. of ESPN mocked Kalijah at 10 to Philadelphia. It was a little bit ridiculous at the time, but when you really look into it, you have to consider where Philadelphia was making these moves in free agency. You have to consider who they've signed and re-signed and brought back. And, like, they have the defensive mold for him. It's a position to need. So it makes sense. There's a team in that top 31. Maybe it's the Steelers at 32. Maybe they think Kalijah can do something for them. There is a team in, the, in, in that top 32 that can use Kalijah Kansi's services. And that could develop him even further. And that could put him in day one as a starter. You draft first round for day one starters, right? I mean, that's how this works. Or that's how it yes. should work, unless you're the Packers with Jordan Love and that whole deal. But <laughs> even Aaron Rodgers, if you want to go that far back in the time machine. But you can't you, complain with their results, though. They they got that's good, right. they got good production out of it. Out of Aaron Rodgers, they did. We'll see about Jordan Love. Jury's out. But you draft first-round picks to play day one. So where's Kalijah going to fit day one? 
I think he fits in a 4-3 the best. He could obviously move around and play different positions, but we'll see you know, what team values him higher than maybe another standard D tackle that that's projected up there. And Izzy's tough because first he's a running back. Running backs are all over the board. You know, a lot of teams take flack for taking a running back in the first round. Look at people are still complaining. The Steelers took Najee Harris, to be honest with you. Um, no matter how good he is, you know, first round running back is, is something that just doesn't happen a lot. So I don't expect that. The thing I'm hearing about Izzy is as fast as he is, a lot of scouts seem to feel he lacks the twitch. You know, he, he lacks that twitch to get into the open space that makes that speed matter. I think watching him at Pitt, it's hard to agree with that, but it's probably got some truth to it, too, if you really think about it. The, the wide open holes that he hit, he hit, but he didn't create many of his own. There was a... Uh there was like a pause in the room when we were interviewing Izzy after his pro day, because he said somebody among NFL teams told him that he didn't have enough burst. And we all were kind of like, we, we looked at each other, the reporters that were in the scrum looked at each other. were like, wait, what did he just say? And we had to ask him like, what did you just say? Because did you watch the film last year? I mean, once <laughs> yeah. he found the hole, you have, you're, you're right to a point about Izzy. Once he finds the hole, he's gone. But the, the issue is, can he create his own lane? He found ways to do that in some spots last year. The Virginia Tech game, there was a run in particular where he scored a touchdown, where he found contact right at the line and broke through and found. No, yeah, he gets skinny. He's he he can do that on occasion. The NFL, comp- it's hard to get that skinny. I have a comparison here from Pro Football Network three sixty five, and somebody compared Izzy to Brees Hall of the Jets. And Brees Hall was a fantastic rookie last year before he got injured. Had a great year. Could have been rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year. Fittingly, his teammate Garrett Wilson won it for offensive rookie of the year. But coming out of college with the combine measurements, with the pro day measurements and everything, I mean, Izzy and Hall were pretty identical in a lot of things. They're pretty similar size. They ran the same 40. They have the similar just like style of play. And I found that to be a pretty interesting comparison. So there is a team out there. And here's the thing with the running back position, like you talked about, how it's valued nowadays, because how many running backs get to that second contract? I'm not talking about produce as a rookie or second year pro. You want a player and a running back that's going to last you. You want to take somebody with these high first, second round picks that's going to last you. You don't want to have to keep – look at Devin Bush, for example. You know, like Devin Bush – Devin Bush didn't work as a first round pick. He doesn't get the second contract. He's out after five years. Like you want ideally, obviously somebody that fits you in those first 60 some odd picks in the first and second round, but you also want somebody that can last you and you can build a franchise around for however many years it is. And that second contract, not many running backs that are drafted this highly perfect examples, Todd Gurley. The Rams gave him a boatload of money. They gave him the universe after that first contract ran out because he won a rushing title. He was all pro. He was all world at running back. And then he just completely fizzled out. Like, wasn't worth a penny of it. So, I mean, Le'Veon Bell could be considered another example of second contract running backs and what happens with that. Sure. So that's the partial explanation of the valuation of the position. 
what does a team look at Israel Abanacanda and his tape and his pro day and his measurements and all this stuff? And where do they value him at? In my opinion, he played himself into day two with his pro day. He played himself into being picked in the second, third, or in my opinion, fourth round. Like he's a fringe guy on that, on that day two, day three scale right now. And I would be, stunned if he lasted until day three by this point, just, just based on everything we've seen on what he did last year. Like he has a sneakily good build for a running back at 217. When you're 217 and can run a four three forty, you're 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 putting it you're putting people on notice. He he stood out at Pro Day, but that was a continuation of what he was able to do last year winning the ACC rushing title, breaking Tony Dorsett's single-game rushing record, you know, tying a 112-year record for rushing touchdowns, and six touchdowns in a game. Like, he's incredibly talented. You don't just do that on your own. So, you know. Yeah, and nobody should mistake too. Nobody should mistake us questioning what round he's going to go for not appreciating what he did here. It's not like... <laughs> It's not the same conversation. Um, you can be a, a terrific college running back and and not fit the NFL mold. And I think that's really what people will look at with, with him. I do believe he fits the mold at least enough to get picked. And I also yeah. think that the NFL has changed in a lot of ways, Corey. Like, you know, first-round pick running back is, is a rarity nowadays. And – if you did pick one in the first round and already have a good running back, you probably want two. You might want three. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so there's no reason to think any team in the league couldn't take a flyer on somebody that fast. I'd say, like for me, if I'm just evaluating Izzy, I don't think he's got a, a ton of that twitch. I think is what I like to call it in the open field, where he can just you know shake a guy. And that's something that I think with that speed, you'd love to have accompany it. And he doesn't have an awful lot of pass catching tape. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't really use him for that a lot. And I'm, I think in the NFL, you'd want him to be able to take some swing passes, maybe even run some patterns for you with that kind of speed. So those are a couple things that I think could kind of knock him down into the more of that five, six round range. But that's just me. Oh, sure. I mean, those are valid concerns with Izzy, you know, the pass catching ability, the way that these running backs are utilized nowadays in these offenses. You know, you don't just have a bell cow take the ball and run it like Derrick Henry every game. You know, you have more offenses than not in the NFL now that are sending these guys out on routes and that are reliably getting running backs 40 receptions, 50 receptions, some way more than that per game and per season. And then per game, it's like, you know, there are running backs that'll get, you know, a handful of targets, just not even from checkdowns. I mean, those are designed running backs, swing patterns, screen passes, whatever it may be. Does Izzy have enough on the tape from a pass game perspective to be able to consistently showcase that to scouts? So scouts can say, Hey, this guy can do it, you know, on, on a consistent basis for us. And again, with the way the running back position is valued now, I mean, I think right now, as we sit here at the beginning of April, his best fit in the NFL is to back up, is just to sit as a serviceable serviceable backup. 
I don't think sure. there's a starting role out there for him right now. And that's not a bad thing. So if he goes to a team like, let's say it's a, like a Houston, for example, they got Damian Pierce, like they have a deep running back room now. Do, does he go to a program or, or program to a team? I should say where like he could be the second or third or like a third down running back type player. And then maybe he develops into something a little bit more. Maybe he just gets an opportunity. I mean, right now, we with just these saw running it play backs out in, in Dallas draft, this year. We right. just saw it play out in Dallas this year, you know, and right. all of a sudden their bell cow has been replaced realistically. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It can yeah I mean, it, and now who knows where he's going to go and who knows what his future is like in the league. So, Right. You know, these running backs, you have to be careful in scouting them. And, you know, you pick the right one and one can maybe stick. And like the Steelers, for example, Jalen Warren, who knew, right? Like when he was coming out of Oklahoma State, who knew? But he's right. he's a really darn good backup running back right now. And, and, they're, and they didn't have to pay a lot to get him in terms of draft capital. I'll tell you what, Corey, that's a great, great recap of, of the pro day. Let's take a quick break again, come back, and let's talk a little bit about spring camp, at least as much as they let you see anyway, huh? back to the h2p podcast here on dk pittsburgh sports uh cory and gary with you and it is time to talk about the spring camp um i'll be honest cory this stuff puts me to sleep sometimes i don't get very much out of out of this or the blue gold game for that matter doesn't really do much for me i i'm sure a seasoned evaluator like yourself probably gets something out of it i read your article i'm not going to steal your thunder what did you take away from what you were able to see? Yeah, I, pro- I published it Saturday. Um, there were four players that just top of mind, you know, seeing them pl- practice, seeing them do drills, just, you know, football and shorts type stuff. I'm not saying these guys are going to be all ACC or all American players, but I, pu- I singled out four for a reason. And we talked about the first one here is Nate Yarnell. We talked about him last week. And just right. the, the zip that he's put on some passes, he was chosen to throw to Jared Wayne and Izzy. And oh, Jared Wayne's another one we didn't really get into for pro day. He had a great pro day as well. Um, and might have played himself into a draft slot on day three. But anyway, Nate Yarnell. He threw to Jared Wayne, threw to Izzy, threw to the to the DBs during pro day, during the position drills. Um, he Obviously, he's the only quarterback near the top of the depth chart. You know, we can look at the walk-ons and say whatever you need. But he's the only quarterback among the top four between Phil Dracovic, Christian Veyer, Ty Diefenbach, and himself that were actually in this offense last year. This is his second year in the Signetti offense. So how much more comfortable is he with things? Where do Pat Narduzzi and Frank Signetti see him fitting in between this year and what the plans are for the future? Because like we talked about last week, you know, this is Phil's team this year. If he doesn't start I, chaos, Christian, they didn't bring him in for nothing. Like they love Christian. They love his profile as a future quarterback of this team. They bring in Ty Diefenbach and that's a passion project for Frank Signetti as a true freshman this year. 
Where does Nate Yarnell fit in the equation? He stood out to me just with some of the throws that he's made at this spring. And I mean, just absolute fastballs and really good accuracy is what I've seen from him. The second guy before I wrote about we, was Brandon. Before we go, go off, before we go off listing all four of them, let's stick with quarterback for a second. Yeah, sure. At some point, Pitt would do well to develop one internally, right? I mean, this is a couple years in a row now where we've gone out to the transfer portal and brought in, you know, a senior to start. I get that. I understand that entirely. But Nate Yarnell or Christian Vio could be that guy that like actually turns into the Kenny Pickett that plays three, four years, right? I mean, there is a benefit to doing that. Do you see that stopping after this year, or do you think we're still going to the transfer portal? Just given the sheer fact that both Nate Yarnell, Christian Vea are redshirt sophomores, and that Diefenbach's a true freshman this year, I don't see any reason to do that. Like, the only thing I would see Narduzzi and Signetti going back into the portal for would be a depth piece to help fill the room out. They have seven quarterbacks on the spring roster. Three of them are walk-on or, you know, not right, no right, disrespect right. intended, but just not anywhere in the picture. They're just not in the picture. So right now it's Phil's team in 23. 24, I would think the competition opens back up, like on the surface level. They'll say right now a competition's there. It's not. It just isn't. Sure. But – Next year, I would wager that you could you could make a case for either of Christian or Nate or even Ty if they feel that highly about him. And I know how much Frank Signetti loves Ty Diefenbach as a quarterback. Like you can make the case for next year, but then you still have three quarterbacks that are like shoved at the top of the depth chart. Here's the beauty of the whole situation. Given how much time Narduzzi and Signetti have with these other three quarterbacks, they don't need to go back in for a a portal quarterback for a while unless something unless like Yarnell or or you know one of the three transfers so that's the only case I would see where they would have to go back into the portal for a quarterback if they want a veteran guy like next year by the time next year rolls around on April 2nd 2024 when we record H2P podcast like Veyer and Yarnell will be redshirt juniors at that point they will have enough experience at the position so that's not really a concern sense. for me. That's not really a concern for me in that regard. So let's move on to linebacker then, because I'm really excited about Bengali Kamara, but you got somebody else highlighted. He didn't play much last year because he had a knee injury. He was hurt most of last year, but Brandon George is like kind of the wild card in this whole field because Shane Simon, I think moves back to the middle and, and where's the dot and is the signal caller. He plays the Servassier Dennis role. And if you remember last year, Brandon George was going to back up Servassier. And at the time right. we didn't know how good Bengali Kamara was going to be. He he's one of the risers from last year. You know, Bengali has really solidified himself as a starting linebacker on the team. So right now it's really Brandon George and, and how like I number one, healthy, he's healthy now, but number two, how like developed he is for, being one of the veterans on this team still. This team's going to have Simon, a fifth-year senior. He's going to have Brandon George, a fourth-year, what is he, a fourth-year junior, fifth-year junior, whatever it may be. But those two bring some good experience to the room. But I I need to see Brandon George and how, you know, he's kind of progressed without having to play much last year. And just throughout camp, he's he seems like he's 
He's in a good mood. He's helping Bengali out. He's kind of been one of the leaders of the defense. So he's one of the guys that stood out to me for that. And then I wrote about Javon McIntyre before, and I wrote about him again, just as one of those guys that, you know, it's his time at safety. We talked about him last week. And then Day Day Reynolds yeah. at wide receiver. You know, I said it in the story. I want my number one receivers to look like number one receivers. And I think you know what I mean when I say that. I want a physical, I want a guy that could just like moss a quarterback if he needs to. I need somebody that could be reliable at number one. He looks the part. And I wanted to see through these first few weeks of camp where three weeks through spring ball, there's a couple more to go. The spring game is April 15th. I wanted to see if Day-Day Reynolds at least started to look the part of a number one wide receiver. Because in my mind, I think Kanate Mumfield fits the profile perfectly as a slot receiver in this offense. And then I think yeah. Bob Means and Day-Day Reynolds on the outside, whichever side you want to put them on, you know, they could go flank. But I need to see Reynolds do whatever it needs to be that fits that mold as an outside surefire boundary wide receiver. So far, he's looked like it. He looks physical. He catches the ball like with physicality. And I, when I say that, I mean, he kind of goes after and gets, he doesn't let the ball come to him. He kind of goes after the ball, which I like in a receiver. Like, I think that he took some good lessons from Florida last year. And we haven't really been able to talk to him quite yet. But I think he took some good lessons from Florida. He had some playing experience and a really good offense. And, um, you know, he's looked pretty polished so far for a receiver that's coming in and is kind of new to this whole situation. So good reports coming out for him so far. Right. And I feel like we've had about a three-month love affair with with Heather Like's job that she's been doing. But we should touch on the fact that she just won the uh, NACDA award, uh, top athletic director, Obviously, the kudos are well-deserved. She's done great. Um, I don't want to repeat everything we've we've mentioned week after week here, but all that stuff is why she won this award. And the last thing I wanted to get your take on um, this week was really Pitt's 2024 recruiting class being near the top. Um, it's not something we've heard here very often. You know, we usually hear like, oh, we're somewhere in the middle or, you know, bottom third or whatever. And Narduzzi tends to target three stars and lower. So how did they get to this point? Well, right now, the, the key to this in the whole development of the 24 class is the fact that Pitt is getting in. We're recording this April 2nd, but they got in in March. They got 10 prospects in by March to commit. And that has right. not happened. That just doesn't happen regularly with this program. So that has something to do with it. But you look at some of the recruits that they've brought in, the two, in my opinion, that are just like really home run gets are Francis Brewer and then uh, Jasir Whittington out on the defensive line. Like the, the success that Narduzzi has had developing defensive linemen and sending them to the NFL, same with defensive backs like we've talked about. Like, I believe it's five and five, even split offense and defense. But all of these kids are three stars. And there's a couple fringe four stars on there that they've gotten. And like the fact that he's getting in so early is one thing, but it's the fact also that I think what we're seeing here is the culmination of the ACC championship 
meeting the sustained success from last year. And players are seeing this and they're seeing, you know, DeMar Hamlin and, and Jordan Whitehead and Damari Mathis have success in the NFL. They see Kenny Pickett now have success. They see Jordan Addison who came in and won a Blitnikoff. They're seeing Jared Wayne like put these right. crazy combine. They're seeing Izzy put these crazy combine and pro day numbers up. Like they're seeing what is actually happening here. And we talked about this in brief before. There is now a sustained coaching staff. No replacements on the coaching staff this year, which is huge yeah. for recruiting. Massive for recruiting. Charlie Partridge wins the defensive line coach of the year award from, you know, I forget what outlet it was, Pro Football Network or whatever it might have been. But like you're starting to see this consistency and you're starting to see these prospects look at Pitt. I'm not going to say in a higher regard, but they're seeing the consistency. They're seeing two seasons finishing it with the AP ranking for the first time since the eighties. They're one of seven programs or nine programs, whatever it is to do that. Like there's something to be said about the consistency over the last three seasons that Narduzzi and his coaching staff have built. And that's starting to rub off on this recruiting. If nothing else they've shown, there's nothing that you can want to achieve that you can't achieve at Pitt. And that's oh, something yeah. that I can't, I can't say has always been true. So, very much so a lot of things have turned around on the program last thing i'm going to mention is about kalajikansi i'm going to circle all the way back i saw aaron donald reached out to him pre-draft and all i'm going to say is greatness recognizes potential greatness and and we we called this comp out when you and i first started doing this podcast together Corey. That Aaron Donald and Kalajah Kansi were very much in the same mold, slightly undersized, got the job done anyway, somehow swum through blocks, just knew what they were doing as far as um, creating havoc. Mm -hmm. And it, to see that, it, it's wonderful to see the, the tradition that, that lives on from, from the people that have been here to the people that are just leaving here to the people that are coming. It's really become a good tradition here. I'm with you on that. It's it's something that really since the Narduzzi era kicked off, like he had to build it for a couple of years, right? Just oh, as yeah. any incoming head coach has to do. He had to take a few years to build it. But once it started to gain some steam and started to gain some momentum, now, like what we just talked about with the recruiting class, you're starting to see just the fruits of the labor right there. Um, one note for me before we get out too is not much noise from the women's basketball coaching search on that front, but it seems like there's at least some names that are out there now that are like, you know, rumored or reported or whatever it may be that have at least been contacted. So Pitt is looking, you know, you just haven't heard anything really, you know, right. I guess concrete or anything that's like really picking up steam on that front. So there are a couple names out there, um, but there, there's really nothing that's like, okay, this is the leading candidate or this is what Heather Like is thinking. And obviously, you know, they're going to keep that as quiet as they can within within the walls of the Peterson Event Center. So, you know, we're doing our best to keep an eye on the on the women's basketball coaching search because that's a big one. You know, that's a big one that Heather Like right. has to fill. And when you look at, you know, a quick final note on the NCAA tournaments – the women's NCAA tournament has been absolutely sensational with what Caitlin Clark and Iowa has been able to do. The national championship game is tonight. They 
you know, Iowa knocks off South Carolina, who hasn't lost in forever. Like the women's basketball ratings have been amazing too. The final four ratings have been amazing. So, you know, that's a sport that's on the rise and Heather like for how forward thinking she has been as Pitt's athletic director for as really just rock solid with decisions that she has made. This is an important one to get because of the rise of the national just popularity of women's basketball right now. And by the way, with how good the ACC actually is. So that's something that we're definitely keeping an eye on as well. Good call there. And I'm not, there's no way I'm letting you off the hook. Who's winning the national championship? Uh, UConn. I mean, goodness, they bludgeoned. They, they've won every NCAA tournament game by double digits. And I don't know what the line is. I haven't looked at the betting spread for that game versus San Diego State, but UConn, if they win this game by double digits, that's just historic stuff, like winning every NCAA tournament game by at least 10. So I'm going to pick UConn. The only question to me is, do they win by 10 or not? Right. And hey, listen, I know it wasn't in your bracket, but I, I do know that when we talked about this bracket, you did say, watch out for UConn. So, I mean, I can honestly say you weren't shocked there at this point. No, but, that's the only um, one of my hey, final four got right. It's that's been my only a terrific final four tournament, right. though. It's oh, been a terrific tournament, though. A lot of fun. Oh, the, and the tournament's been amazing. Unprecedented in many ways, but super competitive, really cool. Um, last minute, last second happenings all through every round that, that came up. I've loved it, and I'm really looking forward to the national championship game, despite them being non-traditional teams, you know, mm-hmm. and that that made it to the championship. I love it. So, I think I I'm going to have to go Connecticut too. I missed the uh, San Diego State buzzer beater because I was watching WrestleMania. So, too bad for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> too bad for me, I guess. I I'll be watching I was Mania watching- again tonight too. So. I mean, it, it is what it is, brother. It was good stuff. And hey, for our first video cast, I think we did a, a great job. I think it was fun. Thank you. And uh, we had very few hiccups. So Sub- subscribe to us on YouTube. Subscribe to us on yeah, YouTube. Subscribe. D- D- DK Pittsburgh Sports Pit. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We'll be doing these live on YouTube. We'll take questions live. We have the comment thread in front of us. So uh, we'll do live show, I guess you could call it. And obviously it'll be available where podcasts are found on the playback and it'll be on YouTube for playback too. So, you know, check Absolutely. us out wherever, the more, wherever those the more are you guys subscribe, the more crazy things they're going to ask Corey to add to his list of responsibilities, the more videos he'll have to make. You can force that to happen. Subscribe <laughs> and make it a scene. I'll have so, to actually put together for- a professional setup. You know, right now I'm like <laughs> in the old bedroom, like over my shoulder over here is the old Cavs bomber jacket that I have. Like, it's just a mess over here. So, but we'll make it work. Absolutely. Hey, without further ado, H2P.